I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, everyone, to the 20th episode of the Take the Points podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, joined as always by Arjun Menon. We had a great week of football. Both my Lions and Arjun's Chargers didn't lose, so we're in a pretty good mood. Uh, first time all season that's happened. Arjun, how'd you feel about this uh, past week of games? It was it was really good. I think um, we got pretty much close games in every um, in every game. The you know we had the privilege of watching the Thursday night game with our mutual friend Dave Silfaro, um, and then Sunday night Sunday we watched kind of like Monday or the one o'clock and four o'clock slate together, which has some really good games. And then obviously last night uh, with the Chargers beating the Broncos in overtime, that was uh, very very close and obviously not the way I was hoping the game would go, but I still enjoyed a, a pretty close game between two pretty good division rivals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was, it was a great weekend. We we owe Dave so far up at PFF for, you know, giving us a good time in Ann Arbor. I um, really appreciate hanging out with him, watching college football Saturday, um, you know, just having a good time and catching up um, and then sweating it out with you on Monday night was a lot of fun as well for me. So, you know, we'll we'll uh, review our, you know, the games in, in week six like we usually do. We'll do our Who Was Him awards and our letdowns of the week, and then we'll be back on Friday with our preview of week seven. So we'll skip the Thursday night game. I uh, don't really need to talk about that and jump straight into the Sunday slate. So we had Ravens Giants, um, you know, we, we, we were focusing a lot of, and, you know, I had talked about on the Friday preview show last week, how I thought the Ravens had the advantage in this game because you knew the Giants were going to blitz and the Ravens had been playing really well against the blitz this season. Well, it turned out that, you know, Wink Martindale blitzed even more than I think most people expected in this game. And the Ravens offense actually struggled against the blitz, which I think was like the main thing in this game, right? So the Giants blitzed on 64% of plays against the Ravens offense. Um, When the Ravens weren't blitzed, passing-wise, you know, they were pretty good. They are passing for about seven yards per play, um, you know, and averaged up the target of 11.5. And the Giants only got pressure on 15% of those plays. But when they did blitz, the Ravens were only able to pass for 5.2 yards per play. Um, Average up the target went down two yards. And, you know, it was a 40% pressure percentage on Lamar Jackson. So that was really, you know, the difference in this game was just like key blitzes at the right time. You know, you had Thibodeau make a play on defense on the blitz that really like changed the tide of the game and was able to give the Giants the win. And like the Giants just keep making crucial plays in big moments, even if they get, you know, outplayed or are just keeping it close for big portions of the game. It's like the fourth quarter, you know, big blitzes, big plays by Daniel Jones, Darius Slade and Saquon Barkley that can lead to these, these wins for them and why they're five and one right now. Yeah, I think the when we were watching the game, the thing that I took away was like the Giants are, are pretty disciplined. Like I think that's the way you got to beat the Ravens. You can't like you can't just blitz without 
containing Lamar. Like you have to do it in a structured way. You can't let him escape the pocket where he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And also with this game, I think we kind of saw the kind of like the big worry I had for the Ravens, especially when Bateman's out is they just don't have anyone to throw the ball to. And I got, I literally got flashbacks of the Dolphins game on Thursday night last year where Mark Andrews was the, you know, did his thing, seven catches, 106 yards. But then after that, Duvernay, who's been having a good year, had one catch. Demarcus Robinson had three catches but for less than 30 yards. And then the only other receiver who caught a pass was Tylen Wallace, who, you know, he's pretty much a replacement level guy. So going forward, I don't know. The Ravens just aren't like they started off very well. We had the Lamar MVP campaign, but they're, I think they're, while it is impressive that they've led for so many games for so long, them losing in the clutch and not being able to keep the pedal on the metal in the second half it is a little bit concerning to me um, just because like they just don't have receivers that can get open or receivers that Lamar trusts other, other than Mark Andrews. So I don't know whether we should downgrade them for blowing all of these leads or if we should still think of them as a good team because they've led for so long, right? And that's that's kind of the problem with with the Ravens. Is they just can't finish in the clutch. Yeah, I think I I do really like that connection to the Dolphins Ravens Thursday night game from last year because it it did seem pretty similar. But you know, last year felt different. It felt like they didn't have any answers, kind of like the whole season for that type of stuff. This year, you know, I I still feel better about them going forward. You know, they rank fourth in offensive EPA per play. You mentioned them like leading at all times, you know, like stat hole sports uh, at, at Barstool had like a really good graph about how, you know, the, the teams with three losses in the NFL right now, the total seconds trailing in all of those games, um, you know, the, the Ravens have only trailed in 120 seconds in their three losses. And then the 49ers are uh, in second place with 3000 total seconds trailing in their games and then it goes all the way up to the bucks with 9,000 seconds so like you can see like the ravens like are a lot better than than their, what their record says right now and like we just saw the bills have seven straight one score losses where you know people were kind of having similar conversations about them not being clutch and then they've had these two one score wins back-to-back yeah. weeks and like we'll we'll get to that so I, I i do think just a lot of that's random and like we know that like the ravens are are a good team and should be fine long term yeah. And also, I mean, I, I I wanted to like talk or just quickly ask like, so the, the Giants, all of six of their games have been one score games and they're five and one right now. Right. We always talk about how teams like this will always regress the next season. Right. But do you think there's some sort of I, I don't know what the correct word is, but like, do you think there's something there where the Giants could be just extremely good in one score games throughout the whole year? Or is that regression something that could take place? during the season instead of in the next season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I do think it actually could be because, you know, like we've, we've seen, you know, teams like the Steelers in 2020 start off eight and zero, and, you know, everyone is saying that their, um, their stats show that they aren't as good as their record is. And like that, that did get a lot of pushback and like, you know, the, the giants are, the giants are playing, they're playing pretty well. Like, you know, they, they rank 14th in, in point differential right now. So like, at least Mm -hmm. they have like a, like a positive point differential and, and everything, but definitely better than what their record says. So like, they're not going to close out the season at like the pace that they're at right now, but their schedule is easy enough where they can end up with like a a pretty good record. And like this game against the 
Ravens just kind of confirms that they are pretty much going to be in the playoffs. Like it's, it's going to be pretty yeah. tough in the NFC to blow, uh, you know, when you when you have a five, one record to, to blow up a, a playoff appearance. So, you know, they're, I think they're, you know, feisty enough to actually get something done if they get an advantageous matchup in the first round. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think they'll definitely make the playoffs, but I, I just, I don't really have faith in Daniel Jones and that passing offense in the playoffs. So you're kind of relying on everything going right, which it kind of has for the Giants. So I don't know. That's, that's going to be a tough one. Um, They're, they're definitely the team that isn't, you know, a, a really a five and one team, but I'm happy to happy for Giants fans and some of our friends who are Giants fans as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay. Bengals Saints. Um. So with this game, it was it really came down to like two things. Like Jamar Chase is just just insane. Uh, took a eleven yard curl route with a defender on his back, and pretty much added like forty five yards after catch over expected something like that. Um, and this game was really just uh the Bengals and Saints being like really really good on third and fourth down. Uh, the Bengals I believe had like a seventy percent success rate on third down third and fourth down and the saints had about like a 55 percent success rate on third and fourth down and we were like watching that game i'm like dang the Bengals can't stop the saints third down offense at all and it's like i would i was expecting the bengals run defense to struggle with that dj reader which um it, it kind of did um the saints average uh 0.12 epa per play which is really good but a lot of that came off the uh shaheed uh touchdown end around but um, I mean, yeah, it was it was a good get right game for the Bengals offense. And yeah, I mean, it kind of just goes back to what I said, like when they have Chase and Higgins, they're going to be a really good offense because you can't double one of them and you can't just like take one of them away and expect to profit. But um, yeah, Jamar Chase is is really that guy. And I think we're we're kind of we kind of saw it on on TV that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know the, the yeah, the take about when they have Chase and Higgins, they'll be like a, you know, pretty good high end offense and then without one of them, it'll affect them losing one of their top receivers more than it would affect other teams. Losing their top receivers is something that you completely nailed. And like this game was just about like the Bengals offense, like we'll, we'll be fine. And like, you know, people were freaking out about it, um, you know, earlier in the season and everything. And like, we were saying like the underlying stuff is there and they just need to do a couple of tweaks to what they're kind of doing. And like, one of them was just kind of like abandoning the run game, right? Like, they had like when you use both like you know PFF's expected yards, which takes into account uh, blocking and you know the the looks that they're seeing against the run, and also like the rushing yards over expected. They were getting they had the second lowest expected yards in the NFL, and then the lowest actual yards per carry. So like they just didn't have anything schemed up well, or like their offense line wasn't playing well, and like Joe Mixon wasn't doing anything. This game you have forty five passes and 11 rushes, right? And none of those rushes came on late downs. And this was a huge change in what we were seeing. The Bengals were, um, you know, the highest uh, pass rate on third and short in this game. And, you know, usually that's that's not like a good thing because like running the ball is better on third and short. And like, we'll get to that when I get to the Packers. <laughs> but this is something that was like a, a change that like they just can't run the ball whatsoever, no matter what looks they're seeing, no matter what down and distance. So just completely give up on it. Let Higgins and Chase make plays and like have Burrow, you know, Burrow now ranks ninth in EPA per play, like have him just kind of throw it up to those guys. And 
um, you know, put the ball pretty accurately where they can get yards after catch. And that's, that's basically what happened. Yeah. And also, I mean, we, we kind of, we didn't really touch on it. The, the Bengals were our bet of the week and they finally, you know, cashed us out for the first time all year. Uh, so that, you know, shout out to the Bengals. I know like we sometimes, uh, or most of the offseason, we were kind of fading them, but, you know, we we backed them in a good spot. And I think our handicap for that game was good. Uh, last thing, you know, Bur- Burrow's sack problems have not, like, really gone away. The Saints heading into this game had the lowest pressure rate in the league. Burrow still got sacked three times, um, and two of them came on back-to-back plays, which in any other game would have taken any team out of field goal range. But because the Bengals have Shooter, McFeels- Shooter McPherson, who's an absolute – animal and it just nails uh it doesn't really take the Bengals out of field goal reins unless they like go past midfield so um that's kind of the one thing again the Bengals need to clean up if if Chase and Higgins can stay healthy and I don't know Burrow is able to fix some of their staff problems I do think they could be a problem um in the AFC but there's there is just a lot of reliance on those guys being healthy because those are those are the guys in that offense but um Jets Packers next game we wanted to review um, I, I know you have a lot to say about what the Packers offense is right now. So I'll let you take it away. <laughs> you know, I, you know how long I've wished for a Packers offense led by Aaron Rodgers to be playing poorly. Uh, it's been basically my entire life. So I've been, I've been pretty happy to to see this play out, but like, I've also been like a little, just like disappointed in like what, what exactly they're doing. So like Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur, right? So there's, there's two things going on. I think the first is, uh, when Aaron Rodgers takes more than two seconds to throw uh, in, in 2020 and 2021, his, his MVP years, he was getting 7.4 and seven flat uh, yards per pass when taking more than two seconds to throw. Um, you know, he had an average up the target that was, um, you know, pretty high relative to the league, uh, you know, high completion percentage. And like, there wasn't much pressure on him in, in these situations. This year, you have that go all the way down to 5.5. So it's a 1.5 yards per play decrease when he's taking more than two seconds to throw and the pressure percentage has gone up 5%. So like not only is he getting pressure more, taking more sacks in these situations, he's also just like not being as efficient. And then, you know, you couple that with on third down and one to two. So on third down and short, um, you know, the, the really sharp teams will run, you know, in, in these situations because one, if you don't get it, you know, you're smart. So you're going to go for it on fourth down anyways. And two, it's actually, it gives you a better conversion rate to run the ball on third and short than it is to pass. The Packers have the third highest pass rate in the league right now, passing on 61% of their, their third and shorts and an average, average depth of target of 8.2. So not only are they passing way more than they should be, they're also, you know, throwing throwing deeper than they should when all they need is two yards at most to convert the the sticks and, and keep going. And they have the second highest rushing success rate in the league right now, right? Like AJ Dillon hasn't had a good season, but he doesn't have bad runs. He never has runs where he gets, you know, negative three or negative four rushing yards over expected. He at least gets it where he can get, you know, something out of it. And then Aaron Jones is one of the best rushers in the NFL right now. So, you know, they should really be running the ball a lot more in, in these situations. And then, you know, also telling Aaron Rodgers he needs to, you know, stop holding on to the ball over, you know, two, two and a half seconds to get the ball out quicker on non-third down plays. 
Yeah, I completely agree with with all everything you said there. Um, especially especially running the ball on like third and one and two. Like we every time we watch a game together and we see a third down run, uh, it's like oh they're woke, right? And we've seen yeah. we've seen Lafleur do this in the past. I think in the London game he he did that in the red zone and it was on like third and five and they got the first down. Mm-hmm. So, you know the the Packers have always had a, a good history of of building good offensive lines. I know. Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins are just coming back. So maybe there is a little bit of a transition period for them, but it's, it's a little bit weird. Like, I just don't know what to think of the Packers right now. They've kind of just had two really bad losses against New York teams, which, you know, the Jets and the Giants beating the Packers back to back wasn't something I was expecting in the season. But the big like takeaway for me is just the Packers receivers aren't good. And that's obviously something that we knew but there was always some hope that Alan Lazard could produce or, you know, everyone wrong or not wrongfully, but everyone just hops on the Romeo Dubs train for, for various reasons, just because of preseason hype and stuff. But at the end of the day, he's not a good, like he's not anything more than like a bit, maybe like up and above slightly above replacement level player. Right. The jets ran 26 snaps of cover one against the Packers. And that's about like 38% of their snaps on defense. And in the past, I don't think you could really run cover one on the Packers because you can't guard Devontae one-on-one. And like wherever the robber is, you know, he's going to, he's not going to go directly into the robber, but this year the Packers just don't have anyone that can separate. And as we'll get into the chiefs later, it's like a very similar situation, but that kind of leaves Rogers in a tough situation, especially on the money downs on third down, and fourth down, Aaron Rodgers averaged a negative 0.54 EP per play on 19 third downs. Like that is significant because, again, when he had Devontae, that he was con- he was very good on third downs, right? I believe his late down he laid down efficiency with Lafleur was like near the top of the league from 2019 to 2021. But this year, when he doesn't have that go-to guy, averaging a negative uh, 0.54 EP per play, 32% success rate on third and fourth down. So not you know the Packers offense is looking pretty bad um I, I don't know what the fix is right now because it does seem like it's a personnel issue a little for a little bit but also um Rodgers needs to be able to figure out like what he wants to do in this offense mm-hmm. yeah all the stuff about Devontae Adams is huge because like if you're the Packers so like when you look at the the different teams that traded away like their star receivers this year the Titans is okay for them to trade away AJ Brown they're in a retooling year their division is weak. Um, you know, like they, they they don't really need AJ Brown going forward for like their their five year plan. Like it was better for them to get the resources for that. And you know, they're they're kind of running out of money there. And the Chiefs were going to be fine trading away Tyree Kill because they had the resources to you know kind of like attempt to build him back in the aggregate. And you have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey still in place. And I you know I I don't want to speculate too much in like personal relationships and everything, but. Why did the Packers not do everything they could to keep Devontae Adams and just like straight up refuse to trade him like they did with Aaron Rodgers? Like that that's what we think we what they did with Aaron Rodgers yeah. when all the stuff came out about him, you know, requesting a trade, wanting to get out of Green Bay, all that stuff. It just seemed like the Packers were very um stern in not wanting to trade him. You only have one or two years left with Aaron Rodgers. You just had, you know, the one of the most efficient passing offenses in the league these past two years with Aaron Rodgers throwing to Devontae Adams primarily. And all the stuff you mentioned was like going to do that for them if they just ran it back this year like they should have. But it was just weird how they just like, you know, they offered the same contract to Devontae Adams that, you know, the Raiders were going to offer him, but he just wanted to 
to go to Las Vegas and like they should have just like refused to trade him and because like the resources you were going to get might help you two three four years down the line but like this is your championship window right now mm-hmm. right like they're gonna have to make a uh um a decision on jordan love's fifth year option with him only playing like three career games <laughs> uh going into you know this this off season here so like everything should have been about maximizing your chance to win a championship this year and they just didn't do that with the Devonte Adams trade away, and you can really see how bad their offense is right now. But um, <laughs> enough, enough about my rant about the Packers. Offense. What did you think about like the way the the Jets played in this game, like on on offense? Yeah, I mean, look, their offense is. is I think their offense has definitely a lot of potential, but Zach Wilson isn't. He's not good. Like I, I don't know what else other way to put it. I guess the Packers, you know, the Packers have a good defense for the most part, um, but they're. Again, I, it's it's tough just for me to say like they're soft because again that's not really something we can quantify and you know that's a or I guess we could quantify it if we saw like how far they were pushed back after the snap and things like that but you know we're not working with tracking data right now or we we will in a little bit but the 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 big takeaway like I mean the Jets I think have a pretty good scheme in front of them uh, for what it's worth you know Brees Hall has been having a, a pretty good stretch of of games. And despite all the shuffling on that offensive line, uh, losing George Fant, Dwayne Brown just coming back from injury, kicking Elijah Veritucker out to right tackle, the Jets' like run offense is is not that bad. Like, and I think mm-hmm. they can rely on that as Zach Wilson, you know, gets more comfortable. Right now, they rank sixth in rush EPA, and uh, they rank uh, t- well, they rank twenty first in rushing success rate. So that kind of shows you like their. Um, they're having a lot of explosive plays, but not being like super efficient on the ground, which is fine. Like explosive, if if you want to be a good team in one season and you can re- and relying relying on explosive plays is the way to do it, that's fine. That's not something that will continue year over year because those things tend to regress. But if you are an explosive offense in a singular season, that's good. And I think the if the Jets can do that without having to methodically march the ball up and down the field. That's definitely good. But yeah, Zach Wilson is needs to make some improvements because there are there is a lot of talent on this offense. And, you know, he kind of just averaged like a negative, I think, like 0.4, EPA per play, sub 50 PFF grade. So definitely going to need to see a lot from him going forward. And I don't think he's really had an impressive performance um, in his three games that he's come back from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, if there's any year to, to rely on rushing game and defense to win games, it's this year in the NFL. And, you know, we're going to talk about that on the on the Friday show, like why passing game seems down this year. But like just to touch on it briefly, like you, we saw, you know, Cooper Rush not play well with the with the Cowboys and go four and one in his time as a starter. There's Zach Wilson three, and zero right now, because like what you mentioned, Jets sixth in rush EPA uh, per play and then 11th on defensive EPA per play. So like you can rely on those little things you can get, you know, you can force the Packers into special teams mistakes. Um, blocking the field goal, you know, having a, a punt block for a touchdown that was really like a nine, 10 point swing in, in these types of games. Um, and like, that was the difference at the end of the day for the Jets. And, you know, if, if that, that was my whole thing about, you know, when we came on and we pitched Jets over five and a half, mm-hmm. six and a half wins this off season was they have the infrastructure in place to win five, six games. If Zach Wilson is still as bad as he was last year, yeah. If he does take that second year quarterback jump as he gets more comfortable in the offense, like they could actually be a really good football team. And so they're still waiting on that. 
But, you know, if that does happen these next couple of weeks, the Jets could, you know, really cause some trouble in the AFC, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, and I think the last thing before I move on to the game of the week, pretty much, like we do need to like understand or when we grade our handicap at the end of the year, like we're going to look at this Jets team and be like, oh, wow, four wins in six weeks. Like, OK, the over five and a wins was a over five point five wins was a great bet. But I, I do look at the schedule and be like they played Skylar Thompson. They mm-hmm. played Kenny Pickett. They had a fluky win against the Browns, which they probably shouldn't have won. So there definitely are levels to how this bet is probably going to win for us. And look, I mean, Jets fans were I'm happy for Jets fans. I know it may seem like PFF does not like the Jets, but we like the players that Jets got just the way that they did. They approached that draft by trading up twice. Um, that's obviously not very non-analytical, but it, it's fine. Um, so I, I do want to talk about Bill's Chiefs. Um, and I think I I do want to give myself a pat on the back because I kind of predicted how defenses would play the Chiefs this year, which is the the way to beat the Chiefs, in my opinion, isn't to play zone this year. And it, it is to play man. And I was worried. And the reason I like the Chiefs in this game, because I was thinking the Bills would play man in this game because they are a very sharp team and they probably, you know, read some defensive tendencies against the Chiefs. But the Bills ran uh, they played man 59% of the time, which is way above their season average. And even though Mahomes kind of had a really good game or a pretty good game, you know, 0.14 EPA per play, a uh, pretty standard for him, just, you know, it is his worst game of the year, but it's still, it's still a very, a very good game. Um, he couldn't, like, there were times where he was struggling against the Bills man defense. And as we saw in the final drive, no, like it was, it was tough for guys to get separation. And sometimes in those, in those um in those in those situations where the bills are playing a ton of man you're kind of relying on guys like von miller and like Gregor Soto get home which they did and von miller was taking andrew wiley to the to the shed and and kind of destroying him there so i think we're going to see a fundamental shift in the way that teams play the chiefs as they should because no one can really separate in their wide receiver room and travis kelsey is, is still that guy um, I think that guy, uh, whoever the Bills' backup safety is, I forget, uh, Saran Neal or something, he did have like two holding pen- penalties against Kelsey. So that is the only downside of playing man against the Chiefs. But if you have like a Derwin James or like a Justin Simmons, I do think it's very possible. And um, I'm I'm pretty interested to see how defensive switch up their defensive philosophy to play the Chiefs, especially uh, comparing against uh, past years. Yeah. No, the, the coverage breakdown of the Bills' defense is great there. And, like, hats off to Leslie Frazier. Heck of a game plan. Like, I looked at it from uh, the, what, what the defensive line did in that game. And so coming into the game, the Bills had only dropped eight into coverage and rushed three 15 times all year. They did that 11 times on Sunday. So they basically doubled how many times that they've done that the entire year. And this is what really threw off the Chiefs in the Bengals playoff game last year in the AFC championship game. And it threw them off again in this game when the bills rushed three pass rushers dropped eight into coverage. The chiefs averaged 6.3 yards per, per pass. Um, and, you know, because of how long Mahomes had to hold on to the ball for someone to get open because, you know, no one can mm-hmm. separate, like you mentioned, the bills were able to get pressure on 81% of those dropbacks, which was, which was crazy. So, you know, you only have Mahomes complete 45% of his passes against drop eight. You know, the normal rush four, drop seven coverage, Mahomes and Kelsey ate that up, you know, nine mm-hmm. nine yards per pass attempt, you know, 60% completion percentage, all that stuff. But then when you go into, um, you know, 
rushing five, which is something that the Bills had barely done all season also. They did that seven times in this game. And, you know, Mahomes had to just get the ball out really quickly, only had an average depth of target of 4.4 on those plays and completed 28% of his passes. So that Leslie Frazier looked at this and said, the Chiefs are just going to expect us to rush for, like we've been doing basically the whole mm-hmm. season, because our four-man pass rush rotation uh, is, is really, really good. So, like, why would we not do that? But dropping eight into coverage, you know, only rushing three, or, you know, rushing five where every offensive lineman on the Chiefs has to block someone was something that really, you know, spooked the, the Chiefs offense and, you know, got them into that interception at the end of the game that that won the game for the Bills. Yeah, and I, I love the I love the drop eight stuff that Leslie Frazier did. That's kind of the reason you go out and pay Von Miller big money, even at age 33, where he was even on three man rushes. It seemed like he was getting home. And I know like we love to you know, we love to hype up Mahomes when he's making those out-of-pocket plays where he breaks the pocket when someone, you know, gets to him in the in or someone's pressuring him. But those things aren't sustainable. Like, you can't expect him to be that good on pressured plays throughout the year because at probably at the, end of the, at the end of the day, his EPA per play under pressure is going to be close to zero or even negative by the end of the year. So, mm-hmm. you know while we did see a lot of those crazy plays where he stepped up in the pocket after being pre- like flushed out or he was rolling right and still made a crazy throwback. Um, you know, those are, those are things we need to worry about. And yeah, to your point, like when they rushed five and he had pressure instantly, the, his completion percentage was like 29% because no one was open. Like just no one can get open when like that quickly, because they don't have Tyreek anymore. So relying on like Juju or Marcus Valdez Scantling or McCall Hardman is just not the way to go. And I think the Chiefs are kind of finding that out right now. So I mean Andy Reid's gonna figure out a way to beat it. They're still five, they're still four and two, still banks ranked top five in EPA per play. But um, but yeah, there are there are some little bit of questioning signs for the Chiefs, especially if they face a good secondary like the Bills or um like the Broncos going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like the Bills were, you know, the the best team in the NFL last year, uh, like many of us thought. So, you know, they could have just ran it back with kind of like the same roster and, and been content with it, but going out and getting Von Miller was huge. And like, you know, on the on the other side of the ball now, like we see like the effect of just having Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs still be a thing when, you know, all the other top passing offenses path from these past couple of years lost their Tyree Kill or their A.J. Brown or their Devontae Adams is like putting the Bills ahead right now in a league where passing is down and like nothing sums us up better than third and 13, 99 yards to go and 78 seconds left before halftime. This was given by NFL fast stars model, a negative 1.34 expected points for the bills, meaning that the next score that was going to happen was most likely going to be the chiefs getting some type of points out of it. The Bills turned it into a touchdown and they scored so quickly that even the Chiefs had time to go down and get a field goal. And so that's just something that you can't stop right now. Like like when when they're literally backed up in their own end zone on a third and 13, like, you know, the pro- probably one of the worst situations to be in of the entire season. To be able to go down and score in under a minute means that no matter what time is left on the clock and what yard line you're at, it's it's very, very hard to stop Josh Allen throwing to Gabriel Davis and Stefan Diggs right now. Yeah, I, I think I'm comfortable saying that right now, like, and it's going to pain me to say it, but like Josh, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are in their own tier. I I would just put them like as elite tier one. And then you have Herbert Rogers, Brady and like Lamar tier two. Like, I, and we'll talk about the Chargers later, but yeah, Josh Allen just makes throws that it, it just 
you know, it amazes me. The whole shot he had on that drive over the cover two corner and fitting it between that uh, that flat wrap corner and the deep the deep safety was just so was just so good. And he he like with Allen, it's like Robert Mazur, Nate Tyson, like his margin for error is so much bigger than everyone else's because he has the arm taunt to fit balls in, even if he's a second or half a second late on his progression. And the I mean, he pretty much put two perfectly placed uh, fade routes to Diggs and Gabriel Davis down the right sideline, which, you know, you couldn't have put it any better. So yeah, Allen is, Allen is definitely sh- should be and is the MVP front runner for the season. And I'm, I, I just don't know how you're going to be able to stop that Bill's offense at full strength. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and I think Allen's margin of error is bigger. Um, like I think him and Mahomes are playing at the same level right now, like you said, but he's able to take, you know, some riskier passes um, and, and do some crazier stuff like the, like the air Allen leap uh, over defenders mm-hmm. because he has the defense and the receivers that can bail him out if he makes mistakes, which he's not making many mistakes anyways. Mahomes doesn't have that in place this year. Like the def- the Chiefs defense yeah. is not as good as the Bills and the receiving options are not as good as what the Bills have to offer. So that's like the, the small difference between those two offenses right now. Really hope, you know, we get a rematch of this in the playoffs, oh, yeah. whether it's the divisional round, whether it's the playoffs, or whether it's the AFC championship game, because I need to see this game again. I need to see these two quarterbacks going at it again. Yeah, and we'll, I mean, we'll definitely see both of them in the playoffs, so hopefully they do match up at some point. But uh, two more games we wanted to talk about. We'll start with Cowboys-Eagles. So as usual for the Eagles, it's kind of a tale of two halves where they start off really hot in the first half. Um, you know, there's I believe they're like five and one or six and oh against the spread in the first half, which kind of just shows like they're beating expectations in the first half and they're putting up points, playing well on defense. And then they slowly start to, you know, let teams back into the game. So it's it's a tough one because like I think the Eagles are very I mean, I have them as the best team in the NFC right now, but I think there does need to be some sense of urgency in the building to try to not let these leads slip away. Um, because like you're kind of playing with fire there where like you're kind of just you're kind of just letting teams hang around, hang around, hang around. And while, you know, you can suffer like one or two losses in the regular season, you could have those type of like Chiefs versus Titans performances where you let a team hang around and someone like Mariota gets hot for a half and boom, you're suddenly behind. You're suddenly down four with two minutes left in the fourth quarter because you didn't you didn't, you know, try to shut the door on this team. So. I think the Eagles are still one of the most dominant teams in the NFL. I would, you know, be happy putting them behind the Bills in terms of our power ranks, but I think there does need to be some sense of urgency on offense um, going forward, especially in the second half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely agree with that. And like I was looking at, um, you know, per quarter EPA uh, per play splits. So first quarter they rank 18th, you know, about league average. Second quarter they have a 0.3 EPA per play on offense right now, which is first and basically double who what the chiefs are in second place so they scored 20 points in the second quarter of this game and then just held on uh you know mm-hmm. to 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 their life you know third quarter they go they go back to average and then fourth quarter non-garbage time they're you know right inside the top 10 so it's really just a second quarter offense right now that's propelling them forward and like i still think the eagles are are you know right there with with um, you know the the top of the the league, you know, in in the NFC, I think we all agree, um, you know, that they're they're the first place team there, and they're the best team in the NFC. What I want to hear from you is, did they just play the team who's the second best team in the NFC in this game? Because like to me, it looked like if 
you know, Dak Prescott, I don't know, I don't think has, you know, played that well in his past, uh, you know, kind of calendar year, right? Like dating back to week six last year, he hasn't played as well as I, I thought he's, he would have. And, you know, I think that we expected out of him, but like if Dak plays this game, it's a totally different story with, you know, Cooper Rush having, um, you know, a, a negative eight total EPA in this game with the three interceptions and a 26 QBR. If, if Dak were to play, do you slot the Cowboys as the second best team in the NFC or do you still see value in other teams? I don't think they're the second best team. I admittedly am a little bit lower on Dak than I think a lot of film analysts are. I just, I struggle to kind of like see how he'll have a ton of success just throwing to CD Lamb. And I mean, Michael Gallup is a fine player. I would definitely say he's like an above average receiver, but I think there are some legitimate concerns that the, the Cowboys receiving room is, is kind of top heavy. And there's a reason that the Cowboys needed to trade for Amari Cooper back in, what is it, 2019 or something, right? So I, I just want to see, I don't know if he's going to be able to produce without like having three really good receivers and the, the run game. I mean, the Cowboys are still giving a lot of carries to the worst running back and the offensive line is fine. I think they do a very good job of keeping Cooper rush up. Right. And for the most part, I thought Kellen Moore was pushing the easy buttons Um, in the second half with, with Cooper Russ, they called play action about like 38% of the time in the second half. Um, But yeah, I, I still would put the bucks above them. I know, you know, that Brady looks checked out, but that there's still a ton of talent on the bucks team. And, as we know with Brady, like and guys like Brady and Rogers, like they most likely will figure it out. I'm not saying it's definitively. The one thing I did want to talk about though, which is kind of like a nerdy thing, was the was the special team stuff. And so, you know, the, the past big data bowl was basically all about special teams. And so this is what this is what I was kind of like watching and like taking away from the game. So the Eagles went into half up 20 to 3, right? First play of the second half. Um, Dallas kicks off. It's a touchback. And then uh, Eagles, Eagles punt. Dallas scores. Um, sorry. Yeah, Eagles, Eagles punt. Dallas scores. And on that punt, after the first drive of the second half, Turpin returned it and got 15 yards, right? So Dallas scores. They kick it back. Eagles punt again. And Perton, uh, Turpin returns it for nine yards, gets called back due to holding. You know, pretty unfortunate there. Dallas goes down and they, they uh, score again. So now it's 20 to 17, right? And then Eagles go down, have a great drive. They score. And then they realize that Turpin is kind of like changing the game. So they kick a touchback, right? But before um, the Cowboys were leaning into this, into the variance, because after the Eagles went up 20 to zero with less than a minute left, I believe Jake Elliott kicked it into the end zone. And Turpin still took it out and returned it for 63 yards. So you have like three kind of plays where he's trying to change in the game, you know, right before our eyes. And, and I think the doubt that Dallas was leaning into that for a little bit. And then once the Eagles realized that they probably shouldn't be kicking it to Turpin very often, they, they just booted it through the end zone. Hmm. So I wonder, you know, this is something I've talked about that like Eric Eagers talked about that. If you're the underdog, you want to want to lean into plays that have more variance and special teams, while it may not have like a huge impact on the outcome of a game, um, it does have a an impact in certain in certain spots, and it can definitely like help you put up points when an offense like yours is struck, like the Cowboys were struggling. So, um, pretty cool to see the Cowboys do that, and obviously the Eagles made the adjustments as they as they always do. 
I, I love that breakdown when you explained that to me, you know, my mind, was, my mind was kind of blown. That's something I definitely didn't notice. And it was cool to see the chess match between the two. And like, that's, that's, you know, it's a small thing. And, uh, but it's important because special teams, uh, punt returns, kickoff returns, all that stuff has a long right tail. And, you know, it's, it's very, it's very, uh, you know, right skewed where if you return a kickoff and um, instead of taking a touchback and it ends up at the 20 instead of, you know, the 25, which is where the touchback would have put it, you know, who cares? Like that's five yards, barely changes your expected points. But if you break a kickoff like Turpin did uh, and, you know, it puts you at the plus 40, that's massive. You know, that's, yeah. that's a gain in one or two expected points on that play. And it, it kind of changes everything. So, you know, it's, it, it's pretty cool to, to see that. But, you know, as we go into our next game, Broncos Chargers, Monday Night Football, we start with the Chargers special teams, historically bad, has historically made you, uh, you know, question your fandom of the team, comes through in a huge way in this game. You have, you know, the uh, kind of a cool loophole on special teams where you can't touch the punt returner himself uh, when the punt is in the air, but you can push a blocker back into the punt returner that causes yeah. him to fumble the game that, you know, in overtime gives the chargers the ball. Uh, they go, you know, um, negative play, negative play puts them at third and 12. And then Herbert makes a great throw rolling to his left sets up Dustin Hopkins for his third field goal of the day, the game winning field goal. Um, you know, it was really cool to see, you know, a kicker get the post game interview. You, usually that's only reserved for Justin Tucker. Uh, no other no other kickers get post game mm -hmm. interviews usually. So you know I'll, I'll let you have it here. That's that's pretty much all I wanted to say. Like, what, what were your thoughts on kind of that final sequence and then just the Chargers overall in that game? Yeah, I mean that that punt return uh, muff by the Broncos was probably the biggest one of the biggest plays of the Chargers season. Their win probability before the snap was twenty three percent. Post snap it went to eighty one percent. So we're talking about a fifty eight percent win probability jump increase and i mean yeah that when i saw that happen i'm like that's not a flag like if they call a flag like i i really need to re read the rule books again because he didn't touch the punter his teammate did and so it was also cool to see that the two guys who kind of forced the muff and recover the fumble were sixth and seventh round rookies so always cool to see thing with their shine but but yeah this was this was not the most fun game for me to watch it it kind of sucks just watching justin herbert uh, drop back 57 times or throw the ball 57 times and he's out he, he's averaging a negative 0.11 EPA per play they're running spot and stick every other play mm -hmm. and it's it just it just doesn't seem like like there's any sense of urgency with this offense you like at one point in the game they were averaging 12.7 plays per drive now we talk a lot about how explosive plays are necessary because you can't be that methodical all the time I think, you know, off like coaches will love it if we're continuously churning, like grinding the clock. If we're having a ton of plays per drive, it, it's going to keep the defense tired. It keeps our defense fresh and healthy, which it, it, it could. But 12.7 plays per drive at one point, I'm pretty sure that went up at, after the after the game. It's just not a it's not an efficient way to play offense because eventually someone's going to mess up. Eventually someone's going to hold. Someone's going to drop a pass, which we saw both of those things happen. And when that happens, you're going to be behind the sticks and it's kind of a drive killer. Now, Justin Herbert is the type of quarterback where even if you have a first and 20, you can eventually end up getting that first down. But with these receivers, it's just, it's just not possible. And there's no speed on this offense. 
And Ben Solak, Mina Kimes, they were saying this. I realized it's realized this as soon as Keenan Allen went down. Like DBs play so physical with the Chargers because they know there's no one going over the top. And even if they do, they're not a threat. The only threat, deep threat on this offense is Mike Williams, and he runs a four or five. So the, the deep threat is him catching a jump ball. And I, I put this question on Twitter. I can't remember the last time in non-garbage time where the Chargers completed like a, a deep ball, like let's say like 25, 30 plus air yards or more, where the receiver was wide open, which means all of the Chargers explosive plays are coming up contested catches or, you know, taking, you know, getting a drag route or a crossing route for like 10, 15 yards and gaining some yak off of it. Like there's just there. I don't see a lot of people being schemed open. And for the entire game, it just was a lot of, okay, snap the ball receivers sit in a, in a soft spot in the zone for like in like 10 yards out or five to 10 yards out. And you're just, Herbert has to make a perfect throw with perfect timing as soon as the receiver turns around. So I wasn't really impressed at all with this Chargers offense. I didn't think Herbert looked good at all either. This is not all a Lombardi problem. This isn't all a receiver problem outside of his pocket presence, which was a one as usual. I think there were a lot of, a lot of struggles he had and he missed, he did miss with his accuracy and his decision-making at times throughout the, entire entirety of the game mm -hmm. yeah no I, I i love that breakdown because when you look at the teams that you know rank highly in yards after catch uh you know either this year or these past couple of years when their receivers catch the ball they're moving either horizontally like away from defenders into the middle of the field you look at the eagles leading in the league in yards after catch this year it's aj brown on in breakers where he's moving you know at 10 to 15 miles per hour. And that way, when he catches the ball, he can, you know, take that upfield and get yards after catch. You look at the Kyle Shanahan offense, which, you know, relies on, you know, throws over the, the middle of the field as well, where receivers are moving, you know, either vertically. And then you look at the Bengals, where it's all vertical routes, you know, accurately place balls in those routes. When you bring up stick and spot, like the Chargers are running, those are routes where receivers are either stopping at the first down marker with their back with their where their back is facing Herbert and then they have to whip around to catch the ball or they're running backwards actually you know at the point of the catch and that's not the best way to get yards after catch at all that's that's probably, that's the worst thing you can do and this offense is so timing based where if there are a split second off and it's not a perfect pass. It's not like a laser that, you know, hits the receiver right in the numbers. We see the interception happen where Herbert was a split second too late. The ball was a little bit too far to the right. Someone's hand got in there, tipped the ball straight up, and it was picked off. Uh, and, and the Broncos, you know, had the ball in field goal range. So when it's that type of stuff on um, that you're running on offense, it's the same plays, and those plays aren't leading to high-end yards after the catch abilities that's the type of things that can really, you know, be detrimental for an offense and very and limit, you know, very explosive plays for them. Yeah. And with a quarterback like Herbert, you don't want to be inviting that type of like noise to the game. Like you don't want to have to always make him be perfect on his rush or on his throws because eventually he's going to mess up. So I, I don't really know what the what the fix is with the Chargers offense. Obviously, they haven't had Keenan on since week one. Uh, not having Corey Lindsley was was kind of big and obviously not having Slater because we did see Herbert under pressure a lot. And I think we need to give C Herbert some credit here where I think he was under pressure like 23, 24 times and only took two sacks, um, you know, just by far the best quarterback in the league at not turning pressures into sacks as we've seen in, in multiple games this year. But 
Um, I guess the last thing that, you know, we should talk about the Broncos a little bit. Edro Evero is, I think, one already one of the best defensive minds in the league. He has a very good defensive roster for sure. There's a lot of fun pieces. They play fast and they they play really physical, especially with the Chargers. And I mean, I think my big takeaway is Patrick Sertan is is going to be a top three corner in the league, at least throughout his rookie contract. Um, the guy is, is kind of scheme proof, matchup proof. I'd feel comfortable putting him on any number one receiver and, and you know, him having a successful day. And, you know, I think he was a great matchup for Mike Williams because number one, Mike Williams can't separate. And number two, uh, Sertan is big. So he can match up very well with Mike Williams, um, especially on those kind of like deep balls, go, go balls that Mike Williams likes to catch. But I know, I know you have some pretty positive thoughts about Everett. What did you think of the Broncos defense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, this is probably the best defense that the Chargers will face, uh, you know, for the rest of the season until they face them again. So, like, that's why, like, if if you want to have some hope for the Chargers offense, that's there. Yeah, I think I think Evero is wonderful. Uh, you know, he's playing the lightest boxes in the league right now, something that Mina Kimes mentioned on uh, on the preview show yesterday that um, one of our friends had had some doing in, which was pretty cool. And, you know, they're 10th they're in rushing success rate against. So, like, that's pretty crazy with the lightest boxes in the league. Second in EPA per play overall, you know, better than the the Cowboys defense that's been getting so much love. But like the Broncos offense being so bad is overshadowing how good their mm-hmm. defense has been playing. And like they were just all over the place yesterday. The Chargers were trying to lead into a lot of screens to try to, you know, take away that the speed that the Broncos have at, at every level. And like even when like by the time that the Chargers receivers would start to turn up field, there were guys there like, yeah, they just they just knew how to play. Very, very well. Yeah, like you mentioned, Sertan, you know, is is already one of the best corners in the NFL. And, you know, I've, I've just been very impressed with with everything that that they've been doing on that side of the ball. But, you know, the Broncos offense is, is so bad. And, you know, Russell Wilson ranks 22nd uh, in EPA per play right now, while Geno Smith is ranking sixth back in Seattle. So, like, if, if you're going to have that big of a difference in what you're doing there, like you're not going to be able to to win games when you trade that many resources for a quarterback and then dedicate that much money towards him. So yeah. that will will wrap up our uh, week six games. Uh, we will go into our who was him and letdowns of the week. I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You are not him. You are not him. I told a bitch I'm him, quit playing. Trying to ride with a boss, what bitch get in. Try to stay on the road like the Michelin man. Put an M on your head like a Michigan fan. So we will give out our Who Was Him Awards of the Week. Best players from this past week of football. We'll do three players or coaches each. Uh, you know, love love to do these every week. And, you know, I have to start with Quinton Williams, um, Jets defensive tackle. Here were his stats from Sunday against the Packers, whose offensive line isn't playing well, but they're not bad either. Six pressures, two sacks, one quarterback hit, one forced fumble, one blocked field goal. And, you know, I was talking to my friend Aaron Warsaw, who does, you know, a lot of Jets uh, film dives and data analytics. So, you know, be sure to, to check him out on Twitter. And he was saying that, you know, Quinn Williams right now 
is playing might be like, you know, the, a top three defensive tackle in the league. And that like an extension might actually be on the horizon sometime this season for him. And it's, it's really cool to see, you know, someone who was picked very highly, you know, started off a little shaky his rookie year, but has just like gotten better every year and how much he's done for Robert Sala's defense and, you know, just completely changed what they're able to do. You know, Jets, like I mentioned earlier, rank 11th in defensive EPA per play right now. And him and Sauce Gardner are just playing phenomenal. And, you know, they're, they're both probably going to be pro bowlers, all pros this year. And like, that's what you need on defense to go from ranking uh, bottom five, two years in a row to mm-hmm. knocking on the door of top 10 this year. Yeah. He's definitely one of the reasons why, um, that the Jets are like top five in pressure percentage right now. Um, you know, his his presence on the interior is similar to what like DeForest Buckner's was with with the Niners. So very, very excited for him and, and the Jets for the uh for that he's producing going forward. Um, my first guy, I have to I have to give it to Jamar Chase. I mean, we kind of watched that game start to finish, and Chase just has some incredible plays. The there, even before the touchdown, he had this one third down where he was like, he caught the ball three yards short. And because he's so strong, he just, he just took the cornerback with him like four yards to pick up the first down. And that was at a crucial point in the game. And then obviously the 60 yard uh, pitch and catch was just absolutely crazy. The guy took an 11 yard curl route and broke a tackle and Tyron Matthew was like four, like three or four yards away from him. Uh, laterally and because chase is so fast he just burned matthew down the sideline and and it, that was kind of the reason the bengals won the game obviously they, they could have won it if if chase was tackled but it's obviously easier to get the touchdown and again he helped us cash our bengals minus one and a half tickets yeah yeah most importantly why he's on this list yeah he, uh, he won us our lock of the week so pretty pretty happy for that we we owe him something if we see him in new orleans when we're there in uh february <laughs> <laughs> um so we'll, I'm going to go with, you know, a coach here, Bill Belichick. You know, I, I'm starting to call him a death eater, like, you know, from Harry Potter. He's just sucking the life out of these teams over and over. You know, he still has his fastball, still, you know, one of the best coaches in the NFL. Uh, Lions ranked ninth in offensive EPA per play coming into that game two weeks ago. Sucked the life out of them, shut them down, basically ended their season. You know, they scored zero points in that game. We have the Browns offense. You know, Browns were favored in this game. Third in offensive EPA per play. You know, Brissett was playing well. The running game was the best running game in the NFL. And they scored six points before garbage time in that game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Patriots are back to ranking sixth in defensive EPA per play. They are starting, you know, Jack Jones, the rookie, instead of replacing J.C. Jackson, who was so good for them last year. And now you're seeing J.C. Jackson allow the second highest passer rating win targeted in the league, 153.3 with the Chargers right now because Belichick always knows, uh, you know, how to utilize players in his scheme and when players are going to start to decline. And I think he even might have an hand in the offense because Bailey Zappi rakes fifth in EPA per play right now, which very small sample size. He'll definitely regress, but you know, it's still very impressive to see, you know, that kind of like makeshift crew of Matt Patricia, Joe judge, and then maybe Belichick uh, having the offense humming as well. Patriots get the Bears on Monday night, our eight-point favorites. Um, mm-hmm. So, they're, you know, mo- they're most likely going to have a winning record after seven games, uh, but, you know, with a third-string quarterback playing the majority of their last three games. So very, very impressive performances by Bill Belichick. Yeah, the the Patrick Sertan um, – or no, not the Patrick – the Bill Belichick stuff for Bailey Zappi 
has just been absolutely crazy. Like Zappy playing this well. And I'm not saying he's played like very good defenses. Like the Browns defense isn't that good. The Lions defense isn't that good. But, you know, he still is a fourth round rookie and he's he's getting all of the easy buttons pushed. So I'm not saying there's a quarterback controversy in New England, but I would like to see Mac Jones get some of those easy buttons pushed because obviously it works with the worst quarterback. So I don't know why you wouldn't push those buttons, but, you know, can't really fault the the Patriots that much uh, so far. But my second who was him guy, Michael Pittman, uh, 13 catches for 134 yards. I think the big thing with this Colts offense that changed was they just went to a quick passing game offense. They realized mm -hmm. that you can't, you can't um, first of all run the ball with this offensive line and you can't have those like deeper developing dropbacks set five and seven set dropbacks with Matt Ryan behind this offensive line. So Matt Ryan had like a 2.32 average time to throw. And for that to work, you need receivers that can get open quickly, or you're just throwing a bunch of dump offs to your running backs. So what we saw Pittman kind of went crazy on the, on the Jaguars, 13 catches, 16 targets, so obviously he was the number one guy for Matt Ryan. And I think that fundamental shift in the Colts offense is why like we are still pretty hot or at least I'm still kind of like higher on Frank Reich as a head coach because he has the ability to adjust. And obviously he has a very good game plan going to a receiver that I felt could have a pretty big year playing with Matt Ryan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that, you know, that entire, you know, Colts offense, the, the, the disparity between what we saw on Thursday night uh, and then what we saw, you know, on Sunday, against the the Jaguars was pretty cool and Pittman was definitely leading that and you know I'm happy for Matt Ryan to bounce back as well uh last who was him from me uh this week was Tariq Woolen rookie corner for the Seattle Seahawks you know four interceptions right now leads the entire NFL like not even just rookies 28.8 passer rating allowed when targeted and you know he got another interception on Sunday and he, he's just kind of an embodiment of the entire Seahawks offseason right now like this offseason was a huge reset for them right like they trade mm -hmm. away Russell Wilson they get all these picks they are paying their quarterback you know so much less than what they would have had to pay Russell Wilson and then they have this phenomenal draft right like Charles Cross they're getting you know pretty good snaps out of him um, Lucas Abraham they're getting you know on the other side of the offensive line Tariq Woolen is looking like a really really good corner Right now, Kenneth Walker is looking great as a running back. So nailed the draft class, nailed the rest of the offseason. Seahawks are a lot of fun, even though they didn't put up mm -hmm. a lot of points in this game. But at least their defense has some life. Um, and that starts with Woolen and Quandre Diggs in the secondary right now. Oh, yeah. I, the Woolen pick was so fun because he's 6'4 and like runs pretty fast. So like those kind of like size and speed builds mm -hmm. always, you know, are intriguing and uh, it, it does seem it does seem like he's been a hit so far for the Seahawks. But last guy, I'm also going cornerback. I have to give it to Patrick Sertan. Mike Williams was coming off two games where he combined to catch 254 receiving yards on 17 receptions. And he goes into this game and Patrick Sertan literally locks him down. Action stats had Sertan with zero receptions allowed as the primary defender in coverage. Mike Williams had two catches for 17 yards, and I believe Sertan was matched up on him for at least like at least 60 to 70 percent of their coverage snaps. So Sertan Island is a real thing, folks. Um, if you haven't caught on, you know your fantasy team will, will probably catch on if you go against him or your or your bets will. But um, I, I I do think he's right now blossoming into the a real number one cornerback where he's going to cause a lot of havoc for opposing. Uh, offense is going forward mm -hmm. yeah and like you know we 
we were singing praises with with Evero and like having that true lockdown corner that can just take away the wide receiver one allows you to do so many other cool things on defense. And it's really important to see that play forward. And like, yeah, he's, he's been playing awesome. I'm glad he's getting all the recognition that he deserves. Um, you know, switching to the letdowns of the week. Um, you know, these are good players or coaches from the past weekend who disappointed us. And, you know, I've been a Lamar, you know, supporter. I've always like pushed back at the, you know, when he gets put in expected pass situations, how he performs uh, narrative that gets thrown around because he's always performed well in those. I was just, I was, I was pretty disappointed in him, uh, you know, this past weekend. Like, I don't think it's going to affect him long-term, but, you know, PFF charts uh, every pass on, you know, catchable or uncatchable and then accurate or inaccurate. And like the worst you can kind of get is uncatchable, inaccurate pass. 35% of his passes were uncatchable, inaccurate passes uh, this season or uh, this, this past week. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, the worst mark of the season for him. The, that was the highest mark of any player in the league last week, like even worse than Carson Wentz, uh, which is which is pretty bad. And then like he also got outplayed by Daniel Jones and like, you know, the I know like the supporting cast isn't great for Lamar without Bateman, but you still got to make that those plays at the end of the game um, to, to kind of close it out when you have, you know, a, a pretty sustainable lead in the fourth quarter. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think. Well, Lamar will probably turn it, turn it around, but it wasn't the best game for him, um, especially in a, kind of like a must-win game with the Giants where you kind of you should have that win locked down. Um, but my letdown is another quarterback. It's Kyler Murray, another quarterback where you, you and me are pretty high on. But, I mean, look, the Seahawks had, like, I would say, the worst defense in the NFL, like probably even worse than the Lions uh, heading into this week. And the the Cardinals – put up three points. I, I know it says nine, but it was really three because one of them I think was a blocked punt. Three points, right? Like we're, like Andy Dalton put up like 40 last week and this Cardinals offense puts up three points. I just like, I don't really get it. I don't really know what's going on there. Kyler Murray, uh, this could be a Kyler Murray slash Kings, Cliff Kingsbury letdown award, but average negative 0.26 uh, EPA per pass which, you know, you can't really be doing against the Seahawks offense. Um, he had three ne- uh, turnover-worthy plays against, you know, a coverage unit where it's really just Tariq Woolen and, and Quandre Diggs, and then after that, it's like a bunch of weak links. So, and now they lose Marquise Brown, get DeAndre Hopkins back. Like, I just, like, I don't know what's going on in Arizona right now. Obviously, during that time frame, we were watching Bills Chiefs more often than we were watching Cardinal Seahawks. So, definitely want to go back into, like, the All-22 and, and see, like, what went on with the Cardinals there. But, I don't know the, the Kyler Murray experiment after he's gotten his big extension hasn't really been working, but I think we all kind of figure it's not really Kyler's fault. It's uh, there's other extraneous factors there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know. I definitely be going in on Steve Kime and Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury. If you know, like the kind of like the slogan for the segment was uh, not good players and coaches from the past week. <laughs> this point, it was just, you know, players and coaches. So I know I, I was disappointed in Kyler Murray as well. Like I thought, he would kind of have a bounce back against that Seahawks defense that so many quarterbacks have thrown up uh, or, you know, thrown all over this season, but that's all we have for this episode. We will be back on Friday with our preview show, you know, back to the, the two episodes per week, like we did last week for the first time. And we will be, you know, previewing the, the week seven slate there. And, you know, in 
in uh, in the future, we plan on having a Twitter space that we host uh, probably Friday afternoon. You know, if you have a preference for when you'd like to join Twitter space and, you know, talk football with us and preview next week's slate, we'll, uh, we can we can think about that. So it'll probably be a normal episode this week, but be on the lookout for a Twitter space in the future. You know, we'll we'll be pretty excited about that. Uh, Arjun, do you have anything to say before we head off here? Nah, just uh, let's, you know, this this is a fun episode and yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for the, for the Twitter spaces going forward. And um, I think, uh, I, th- I think it should be a lot of fun, but, but yeah, thanks for hopping on and, you know, excited for the, for the next episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Be back on Friday until then. I'll take your points. <laughs>